Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nicholas Investment Insights. Our attention turns this week to what is often an Australian's second biggest asset, superannuation. At nearly $3 trillion, Australia's superannuation system sits as the fourth largest national pension scheme in the world, and uh, is not bad, which is not bad considering, of course, we make up under half a percent of global population. Super means a lot of things to every Australian. For some, it's a tax-efficient long-term savings vehicle that, if managed well, can provide security and reassurance that retirement will be comfortable and reliable. For others, it is an annoying mandated deduction of their hard-earned wages, robbing them of current opportunities and lifestyle. For the financial sector, it's an absolute goldmine. Long-term, constantly accumulating capital that is lightly monitored by its owner and with plenty of opportunities to deduct fees and charges. So it's not surprising that since broad superannuation was introduced in 1992, a literal army, nearing the size of the Australian Defence Force, has sprung up to help everyday Australians service the growing pool of funds. But is superannuation in its current form fair and equitable? Or does it favour the wealthy with healthy tax breaks and in effect become irrelevant for those without consistent incomes across their lifetimes? Over time, as the size of superannuation balloons further, Will its sheer size end up distorting the very investment markets it was designed to support? Here to share his views on the topic, we are lucky to have economist, author and friend of the show, Dr Cameron Murray with us. Cameron recently penned a comprehensive article calling for superannuation to be scrapped and has some interesting ideas on the issue. Cam's a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Sydney, blogs at fresheconomicthinking.com and is co-author of The Game of Mates. Dr. Cameron Munry, welcome back to Nucleus Investment Insights. Thanks for having me. Great. Good to have you on. And here, of course, to run through our thoughts on how superannuation can potentially distort investment markets, I'm joined by Nucleus Wells Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. Hello to you, Damien. Hi, Tim. Joining us as well on the line, we have our Chief Economist, Leith Van Onselen. Hello, Leith. G'day, Tim. And rounding out the table, we also have our Head of Operations, Shelley George. Hello to you, Shelley. Hey, Tim. Big show on. Big big show, uh, big topic, and we've got plenty of people to, to weigh in as well, so really looking forward to it. Uh, just a quick reminder that before we get started, to subscribe on YouTube and click on the notification bell to be notified of when we go live or have a new webinar to watch, and follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Feel free to click on the video now, uh, to click like, sorry, on the video now to help our show grow. And for those listening in live, feel free to drop in your questions in the chat box, in the YouTube's comment box, to have them answered along the way. So let's kick it off with the agenda. So we're going to, uh, obviously it's a big topic, so we've got quite a big agenda today. We're going to begin by uh, a little bit of background on the Aussie uh, superannuation system and its flaws. We'll then be looking at some market interventions. Uh, we'll then be looking at uh, mispricing and distortions to asset markets. Uh, we'll then have a look at how lifting super, the superannuation guarantee, the SG, to 12% could potentially make problems worse. We'll then have a look at how to improve the system, some barriers to reform, uh, and then round it out, if we have any time left, uh, with uh, discussion. And of course, we'll be answering viewer questions and, and running through some investment implications as well. Uh, so to kick it off, I thought it might be good just, uh, and obviously uh, Cam being uh, quite a knowledgeable bloke, to give us a little bit of background perhaps on superannuation, Cam, if you wouldn't mind. And then we can start having a look at some of the flaws in the current super system. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, I think my perspective is probably a little bit 
different to most people because I think what we've seen in the last 30 years is a bit of a rewriting of history. We've uh, rewritten history to be super was this uh, well-conceived uh, replacement for the age pension that's going to deal with aging and solve our, um, our demographic bulge when the baby boomers retire. Now that's what we tell ourselves today, but originally in the 80s when, when super was invented, I guess, it was part of a bargain in the, the, the wages bargain. And the objective of giving up some of your wages and putting it into a savings account was to reduce economic growth and inflation. The whole point of the original compulsory savings was a bargain to reduce wages and economic activity and subsequently inflation. And so we often forget that because that actually, um, that objective contradicts the retirement incomes objective. If we want to support more people who are retired, we need faster growth and higher wages and more economic activity. So that's how I see the sort of overarching big picture of super. But, I, but what's happened um, you know, in those uh, 30 years is that we've we've sort of um, tricked ourselves into giving up more and more of our income uh, to these uh, financial whiz kids. And we've just ended up being milked for more and more fees every single year. And we know this because we've never sat down and decided what the purpose of superannuation is. And I would say in many ways, we've avoided that debate, debate intentionally, even when we tried to have it, we've said, oh, it's too difficult. Let's not do it because if we really decide its purpose, we might want to unwind it. it. Might make sense. We'd want to avoid that outcome. So that's my sort of cynical, overarching, long-term view. <laughs> uh, but that's how I see it. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's certainly. I think it, there is some reflection required on on you know exactly that the ge the genesis of, of what it was and, and and obviously now where it's uh, where it's where it's been, what it's become. Uh, Leith, uh, thoughts on some flaws, perhaps if we if we sort of kick off the conversation proper thanks for that cam yeah thanks tim yeah thanks tim look um I, i've been following the whole super issue on uh, on macro business for you know pretty much since inception and uh, th these are basically my thoughts about what the flaws are in the system and uh and there's about nine of them now, cam feel free to chip in if you've got any other ones or you want to expand on them but okay. um, first of all i'll just go through a list um and and, and a quick explanation of uh of of the flaws that I see in the compulsory superannuation system um, in, in no particular order. The first is that obviously superannuation is voluntary for those that are self-employed or, or hokers. So uh, what this means is that obviously that, that if you're, if you're an independent contractor or you're a mum at home or whatever, or, or if you have a, um, a, uh, a work life that's interrupted, um, you, you won't pay superannuation. You won't get superannuation. So what this means, uh, or, or, for, or if you're an independent contractor, superannuation is in fact voluntary. You don't have to pay it. And what this means is that under the age pension, which is universal and applies to everybody, uh, no matter how long they've worked or whatever, um, compulsory superannuation necessarily misses millions of people across the economy. So what it means is that we've got this system that's supposed to be a retirement saving system. And in fact, it's actually missing, missing millions of people across Australia and that they end up um, retiring without a superannuation nest egg. Yeah, Secondly, can I just uh, expand on that, Lee, before you move on? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think if we were objectively thinking, how do we do, re design a retirement income system 
to ensure everyone has a minimum living standard, what we'd be doing is looking at those people who haven't had long careers and earned millions over a lifetime of income. Those people would be the least likely to need looking after in retirement. And yet they're the only people that the super system can look after. So yeah, that's just to expand on that point that you made that um, people who haven't had long working careers don't benefit from this, yet they're the ones most in need of retirement income support. So I guess just jumping in there to to Uh, clarify that, Cam, um, it seems to me that you're saying that you said that history has been rewritten and initially it was actually um, implemented, superannuation was implemented to clamp down on growth. But now we're saying that it's supposed to be a retirement income system. We've rewritten Mm. to say that that's what it is. But in fact, if that is what it is, it's failing miserably at it in terms of what you've just said. Correct. That's And that's why we've really av- avoided a lot of these questions, because um, the people who benefit most from super don't need a public support for their retirement incomes. They've had long careers of high incomes. They can voluntarily save and deal with it, deal with their own retirement. Yeah. So that's exactly the right point. Yep. Very good. Um, sorry, did right, we want to keep going the, there, Lee? The yep. second yeah, yeah, I'll just keep rolling through the list. Now, now some of these, some of these, uh, these, um, these flaws are actually interconnected, so they'll they'll connect back with what Cam just said, uh, and Shelley as well. Um, the second flaw is the super can be spent from the age of sixty, so that's actually uh, six years before the official retirement age, uh, and the, the retirement age is going to to sixty-seven, so it'll end up being seven years before the official retirement age. And what this means is that people can retire at sixty. Uh, spend all spend all their superannuation savings, which they've received tax concessions for, and then fall back on the age pension anyway. Um, whether or not you think that's a big issue or not, that's uh, that's up to you. But to, it's just another flaw in the system. The biggest one, well, one of the biggest flaws is that most superannuation concessions go to where they're not needed. That is high incomes. Um, the the way that the superannuation concession schemes uh, set up is that it's a 15% flat tax. Um, payable on superannuation contributions and superannuation earnings. And what that necessarily means is the higher your marginal tax rate, the more super concessions you receive. And there's a, uh, for anybody watching live, who has got the chart pack in front of them, the presentation pack. Um, the, the chart you see there has come directly from the Australian Treasury. And what it shows is the massive amounts of uh, superannuation concessions received by the top end of town versus the lower income earners. And according to the Australian trip, the top 1% of income earners get will, will receive $700,000 on average uh, of tax superannuation tax concessions over their working life, compared to just $50,000 of taxpayer support for the, uh, oh, sorry, of uh, superannuation concessions for the bottom 1%. Mm. So that's hey, 700,000, top 1%, 50,000, bottom 1%. Yeah, and I find it interesting, to, uh, in, in particular, the... Um, yeah, if you took even like the, the the 90th percentile, so the top 10% of tax earners are going to get tax concessions worth almost three times what the age pension is going to pay the, the bottom 10%. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So basically, it's a it's a, it's set up almost exactly the opposite way to what you would do if you if you designed it beforehand. Absolutely. Uh, That's right. It, I think uh, on that point, should I roll on or? Um, Lee, uh, can I just uh, finish off that point? The, these tax concessions absolutely. 
just to give you an, an idea, these tax concessions cost more than the whole age pension each year. So you could double the age pension and still have a better government budget than having the age pension and the super system. That is, you know, you can label the super system a private savings, but what re it really is, is publicly subsidized savings of an order of magnitude that's larger than the whole age pension and is skewed to the top of the distribution. So I think you've got to get uh, your head around how much money this is each year. People whinge about the, the effect of aging on the public budget. Super makes that effect worse, far, far, far worse. Not just like 10% worse, but like multiples, three, four, five times worse, not better. And I think uh, that's one of those sort of lies that you'll hear the super industry repeat in every single report they say. They will say, we're saving the government budget. We ignore tax concessions in our analysis. And I find that, you know, a little bit scary. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, and we should we should make sure we've got our disclaimer in there that, that Nucleus does provide super. So, <laughs> so we're, we're, uh, we're on, on one hand, we're, we're talking from, we're talking against our own, our own book here. So Cameron's obviously not his, you know, he's, he's coming from the other side, but, but we're, I guess what, what we're saying is, look, we run super and we, and we collect fees on it and we'll go in a little bit in, into detail on, on that a bit later. But, you know, even from with, from within, we can, we can look and say, you know, here's what the problems are. Hmm. Well, I mean, a poorly designed system, people still have to operate within it as best they can. And I think that's, yeah. you know, the way to think about it. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and to be a martyr, you're better off rather than saying, no, no, I'm going to forgive or I'm going to forgo all my tax concessions. You're better off taking your tax concessions, but trying to trying to get change for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just some reflection on that. I um, So I was previously an engineer and I got into finance in sort of uh, beginning of 2010 thereabouts and um i you know look i didn't know much about super and i you know learning learning the trade in the financial advice sort of um sector um you know you sort of get your head around the rules but you don't really see it until you start working in the industry and you see it in practice and i'd, I'd never forget the first time i came across a um an eight i think it was around about an eight million dollar pension account for you know obviously a reasonable net worth client and then seeing the just sheer amount of income being thrown out which was you know in effect tax-free and then just sort of thinking hang on a second how, how does this work again? Like, you know, how many people are there in the in this you know in the upper bound that you you, you know you probably wouldn't meet on the street so much, but um, you know, as the rules were, and obviously the rules have changed now, and that sort of you know they've tried to tighten that up a little bit, but it's still, you know, on the northern side of uh, you know pretty pretty favor favorable for people with uh, larger blocks of money. So um, yeah, look at yeah, it was <laughs> it's it's one of those things until you see it in, in practice. I think you you don't really hit around the scale of um, yeah, the large S of uh, of the system. Mm. Very good. Uh, did you want to? How are we going there, Leith? Right, keep, yeah, I'll keep, keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 yeah. That's right. I'll keep going, but I'll, I'll some actually very quick, so don't, we don't need to go into depth because they relate to that. They're, they're very interrelated. Um, the next one is balances. Obviously, the super nest eggs at retirement uh, depend is a function of how long somebody works and how much they earn. So obviously it's skewed if you're if you've worked full time your whole life you've earned a really good income you're going to get a massive super nest egg, but if you're a low income earner or you've had a broken work pattern you're going to end up with a really small retirement um, nest which is actually the opposite of what you need if you base the superannuation system on need or the retirement system on need. Um, the, the next floor and this gets back to Cam's point 
uh, super cost the federal budget $43 billion a year, which is actually, uh, you know, about the same or more than the age pension. And according to uh, the Henry Tax Review, um, the Grattan Institute, Rice Warner, a bunch of other bodies, um, the, the long-term cost of superannuation, uh, sorry, the long-term savings of superannuation, so long-term cost of superannuation is more than what it, what it will save in, uh, in future age pension costs. So it's actually costing taxpayers more than a saving. Um, and that's not just in the short term, but also the long term. So it's a pretty bad deal for taxpayers. Uh, the next one is a big one. Um, superannuation lowers wage, wage growth. Now, look, there's this kind of myth that the superannuation is trying to, trying to portray, and that's that, that, uh, that superannuation is paid for by employers and that it comes on top of your wages. Well, it's not really. It's basically uh, employers pay you a certain amount and then they just garnish a certain amount. Uh, well, currently 9.5% of that are paid in your, uh, in, in your wages. Uh, sorry, in, in your superannuation account. So if the, if superannuation, uh, if the superannuation guarantee rises, it's going to wage growth other things equal. Um, yeah. That's been confirmed that? by a whole bunch of uh, bodies. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's the Reserve Bank's position, Grattan's position, based on all of their analysis, yet the super industry still pushes it. Henry Tax Review um, as well. Ex exactly. And then the question would be, though, if super is something extra that you get, can't you then improve on that by letting people spend it today? Like, even if it's true that super comes, it's a magic pudding of extra money that wage earners get, is it not also true that it's even better to get the magic pudding and then let the earners decide whether they want to spend it today or in the future? So you don't even have to um, agree with that point, whether it on the long run comes out of wages, to say that once you've got it, once you've got it, you can still transform it to wages by letting people spend today. And that's a slightly different point. And, you know, you don't... It, it, it changes the question is once you've got it, why is it better for people who are raising families, who are buying houses, who have financial commitments today to not have their money that they've just earned? <laughs> why is it better in bank account B where you can't get it than bank account A where you can? I, I find it a bizarre point, but I, I just wanted to narrow in on that issue that it sometimes it doesn't matter if it's extra or not to the question of whether it's good or bad. That's mm. uh, right. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Don't. No, no. I was just going to say that the, I suppose the argument stands in my mind with the the, the wage growth is that um, now you know you're a smart guy, Cam. You know how to manage money. Um, Leith, I'm sure, as an economist, does as well. Uh, I'm probably pretty debatable. I can't speak too much to the to the rest of the team here. Uh, you know, based on <laughs> vacation. But um, I the. The problem lies is that, you know, you've got this saving element and I guess um, I think we'll answer this a little bit further on uh, anyway, Cam, but like in my experience in, you know, in, in talking to people and, you know, hundreds, thousands of people with superannuation, I've been in superannuation probably eight, nine years now, is that you sort of think, well, if they didn't have super, what would they have? <laughs> um, they probably had a, a new car every couple of years some nice holidays and, and all the rest of it. Um, and I guess that's that's the bit in my mind that needs to be solved. Um, if, if, you know, if you're not forcing people to, to put away money for, for retirement, then, then you know, sort of where's it, where's it going to come from? And I think, you know, in a way, you've sort of answered it in, in the fact that the costs are sort of, out, you know, of, of supers outweighing, you know, other means anyway. But uh, it would be interesting well, to hear me, about that. Yeah, well, I guess my view on that is a little bit different because um, 
I think it's better for the economy for people to buy new cars and have nothing at retirement. <laughs> it's better socially for that to happen and to ensure socially with an age pension than for people to save voluntarily or not. I think the problem we have is we, uh, this happens in economics all the time. And, and it's part of the political debate is that saving is seen as virtuous. Okay, saving is, is not virtuous from a macroeconomic perspective, right? Mm. Sure, you think of saving as self-insuring. Yep. Think about it like that. I'm like, yeah, so, sure, self-insuring for small things is a good idea. But you know, you know what's better than self-insuring? Insuring, <laughs> pooling right. your money with others to insure. Isn't that in a, a better way? So I don't, I don't care in, in what people spend their money on and if they have zero, because guess what? We've insured socially in a much better way than what anyone can do with private insurance. Because at the end of the day, they can save, you know, do all these great things, get to age 67 and lose everything, uh, you know, gamble everything away, lose, lose it on an online romance scam, which I know, you know, the single men in their late 60s and 70s do get scammed by. Um, look, you know, the mm. public insurance system still works. <laughs> Yep. So I, I guess I'd, I would push back against that saving is virtuous um, point and say, well, you know, socially, we know that we can ensure we have a welfare system, we have a retirement system. These systems are better than individual self-insurance. So I, I would have a quite different view I, 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 about that. Fair enough. I suppose I'd just add to that uh, quickly um, that... That obviously, if the you know if 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 uh, if compulsory superannuation is costing taxpayers more than it's saving in age pension costs, well, obviously running the superannuation system this this way is making uh, it uh, means the government isn't able to spend as much on the age pension. So if they didn't save, if if you know in a different world we didn't have compulsory superannuation, the government would be able to dramatically lift the age pension, which would take care of that problem anyway. Yeah, it's well, almost like the uh, amount of social insurance. That we can provide uh, is bigger if people don't try and also self-insure. Well, well, I think what you're missing, Cameron. I tell, I tell you what you're missing, Cameron. In the in the in the bigger scheme of things, is um, if you've got an average superannuation balance of whatever it is, 200, 250 grand, and mm. we've, and we've also got the highest debt level in the market in the world. So you know you've got another whatever 200, 250 grand in your super and 250 grand extra in debt on the other side. Is yeah. that there's a lot of there's you get to charge. Fees on the on the income, and you get to charge fees on the banks, and and, and you've just uh, you've just increased your <laughs> increased the costs by by double by um by having it on both sides. And, well, I and, agree, and yeah. and a lot of people are stuck in that situation. And this is going to be me. I'm going to um, pay off my house a bit, but what I'm basically doing is not paying off the end of it till I get my super, and then I'm going to pay off the rest with my super when I'm sixty, and then I'm going to get the age pension. I mean, it's the obvious <laughs> thing to do. Why would you not do that? You've been forced to separate your balance sheet, right, into these two, um, you know, the bank loan and the super thing. But, you know, yeah. if you consider the balance sheet as a whole, you're at zero. You just merge them together when, when you're yeah. able to. Um, yeah, so I, I, look, that's going to even be more of an issue in the coming 10 years because we know people in their 60s have mortgages more than mm. any time in history. Yep. And so that's the obvious thing for them to do. Uh, and, and it's even better because if you're in your 
we can get you super at 60. So if you're in 55, you've got five years of your highest income earning period of your life where you can chuck in the maximum into super, get the maximum tax breaks, turn around and pay off your mortgage mm. when you're 60. Yep, <laughs> common strategy. Yep. It's, mm. it's the obvious thing to do. Absolutely. And so, yeah, particularly if uh, mortgage rates uh, remain as low as we, we predict them to do, it's just an absolute no-brainer. So um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. Um, well, that sort of rolls us on to uh, we did mention right. uh, fees and costs there. So maybe Leith, we'll, we'll move into the management fee side of super. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. I, I, I better pick up the pace. <laughs> it's got low, but um, yeah, look, uh, th th there's also some pretty strong arguments that's that Australia's superannuation system is highly inefficient. Um, Australia's and, and there's there's some nice charts here if anybody watching. Uh, Australia's management fees are among the highest in the world, and uh, and Australians actually spend twice as much on uh, superannuation management as they do on their electricity every year, um, which is quite extraordinary. And Cam's uh, in some of his research uh, has 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 done some research on just how many people actually work in the superannuation sector versus um, you know versus. Uh, um, Bureaucrats providing the, the pension and Australia's military, which, which yeah. you might want to so uh, quickly just, mention. Yeah, I'll just quickly my, mention my view on that. So the superannuation workforce, I estimate at 55,000, which is roughly the enlisted military. And the age pension workforce, I estimate at around 6,000, uh, which also does many other functions as well. Now, if we talk, look at workers per dollar of retirement income provided by the system, we're looking at sort of... Um, Per million dollars, we're looking at a one worker per million dollars in the super system and 0.1 in the age pension system. So you get 10 times more money to retired people per worker in the age pension. And the cost per dollar of retirement income is 90 cents in super and 4 cents in the age pension. Now, people criticize me and say, hey, but you're measuring the retirement income flows from the super system, not the balance sheet of the super system. And that's the correct way to compare because it doesn't matter what the balance sheet is because the system provides retirement incomes. That's the output metric. That's what we want the system to do. Um, and if it costs 90 cents per dollar of retirement income, that's a bad way to make get retirement income in my view. And I'm widely criticized for not using the balance sheet value of the super system for this. But I just want to emphasize, I could use, if I added up the balance sheet of the public sector, or I capitalize the future tax flows that fund the retirement system makes the age pension system look even better. <laughs> if you want to compare like for like, I can do that. It's going to make the super system worse. So yeah, it's a, it's a hugely costly uh, exercise in terms of labor force and fees. Hmm. Uh, and well, it's interesting in noting as well, and as part of this, there's another chart. Well, there's another chart coming up on on our next slide, just that breaks out the um, the fees into administration and, and investment. And mm -hmm. one of the things you'll really note on that is that the the administration fees are growing um, mm -hmm. over time. Investment is shrinking, so it's still very high, obviously. But but um, yeah, that's that's what we're sort of running into, and we're trying to trying to find ways around it ourselves. But these administration costs. Um, because you've got lots of people with very low balances sitting in the system mm. and you need to interface with them back to ATO and, uh, and, and, you know, you need to make sure there's no fraud and, and you have these, which you have to pay out, pay out, you know, special amounts to them from time to time. That's where, um, you know, for us, we're trying to work on that part, but it's, 
you can, I can just see where all those costs are, are, are adding up and why our, our costs are ending up being so high because rather than having like one system like the, the taxation system, for example, to manage the pensions and, and they're already managing everyone and so, you know, the cost per person is quite low, we've got a whole bunch of super funds all around the place trying to replicate what's being done and, and crossing over and trying to deal with these these issues and, and interface with, with tax systems, which which is actually adding to those um, adding to those costs over time. Yeah, this is the only point. reason that the there's like for the fees being largely flat. Um, you know, why hasn't competition uh, done more in superannuation fees over the last thirty years? Because they don't have to. Because well, <laughs> they're making it, money. It, you know, it should have. It, that's right. It, but what does economics say? It, it is. It is kind of bizarre. Yeah. Well, look, the, the 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 economics says that the, the economics says that that you should be getting economies of scale, right? So. It shouldn't cost ten times more to manage, you know, a hundred million dollars funds under management as it does a billion dollars of funds under management. You shouldn't mm. need that many more staff. You shouldn't need ten times more staff. You shouldn't need ten times more, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the fact that you know funds under management has exploded over the past twenty odd years, but uh, actual average fees haven't fallen a lot, tells you that it, that that the the sector as a whole has actually become less efficient. Yeah, it's also not that competitive. I'll give you an example. Still, um, in my example, I can't choose my super fund. I'm, I'm forced through my you know workplace agreement to go with uni super at a university. So, what do you think they're going to do? <laughs> They've got the whole industry captured. Um, either I duplicate it and have two funds and take money out of one into another, which is adding to costs, or I just pay whatever they want. Um, and also it's a bit like bank accounts. It's very painful to move. It's not something you make purchase decisions about routinely. Um, it's not like when you go to the supermarket, you can just pick something up, you know, the different packet of cereal next week. Um, it's a pain in the ass to deal with your employer, fill out the form, double check everything. How, and how do you know the next one's not better? And how do you know the next one is better than your previous one? Cause you can't compare future returns. So it's not like you get to um, test the cereal that you just bought. And if you don't like it, switch back for nothing. Next time you go to the supermarket, you know, they've taken the fees. You've mm. lost your money. You've got to do the whole thing again. And you still don't know if you're better or worse. So I think the competition element in these types of services is always going to be limited. Mm. We, we find as well, there's very low potential for people. Sorry. They're very low potentially in, in terms of... Um, yeah, for most people, they're not getting the money for another 20, 30 years. And so, whereas if the money's sitting in your bank account and, and you're thinking about yeah. investing, yep. you, there's there's a bit of a, okay, yeah, we'll do that. I've got the money sitting there and I, I've got a, an opportunity cost. Whereas, as you said, it's already invested in one super. Um, yes, I think this other super is better, but just getting around to doing it um, can take years. <laughs> and and so, you don't even know if it's going to be the right one if you change. Like the next yeah. 10 years could be worse. And I think the other thing, you know, with that long-term view, I think we missed the point. If we if we got a retirement system that's there to help people, you know, one in six men don't retire because they die. So I'm already down at uh, sort of 82%. I only care, you know, my probabilistic access to that future money is already 82% because I got a one in six chance of dying anyway. So I care less about it. You got to scale that back. My my caring about this future income. Um, so mm. I think that's something we always overlook is that a lot of people just never get their super because they're dead. 
<laughs> and it's funny, but there are certain groups that are more exposed to that than others, um, like Indigenous people who have uh, lower average yeah. lifespans than um, non-Indigenous people, and it's a big problem for them is they have to save it and don't necessarily get a chance to access it. Yeah, I mean, men men die younger, Absolutely. men make foolish risks. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a, it's a it's a it's a definite issue. Um, and I think we haven't really even even in those modelled costs and benefits, and we'll probably talk about them soon. We go, what's the expected retirement income? We never factor in the the likelihood of being alive to enjoy that in terms of you know comparing current benefits from current income versus benefits of retirement income. You know, you need to scale it for the probability of still being alive. And never happens. Mm, that's a good point. Now, just in the interest of time, we might just finish off with the market risks there, Leith, and we can crack on to market intervention. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I'll just mention this one. Uh, unlike the age pension, or uh, which which is a guaranteed fixed amount by the federal government, um, superannuation balances uh, are generally subject to market risk. I say generally because if you define benefit, you're not. Um, but anyone who's on a typical accumulation fund, um, you're you're nest egg is going to be subject to market risk so there's always the inherent risk that that if you're like age age 59 and or 60 and you're getting close to retirement that that you get hit by a cheese toll event or a COVID event and suddenly you know a, a fair chunk of your retirement balance is wiped out um and it, interrelated with, with this factor and which sort of ties into what we've just been talking about the the, the, the superannuation system is incredibly complicated so um and i think it's made almost deliberately so um, and, and this impacts the least educated the most because uh, it's obviously the most complicated for them. It's harder mm. for them to switch around and, and do what's right for them. Yeah, be basically saying to somebody on minimum wage, um, here you go, make make a make a complicated decision. Otherwise, your your investment, otherwise your your retirement stuffed. Whereas for somebody on a higher wage, as well, well, even if they did, you know, for, for, for the highest one, even if they did lose twenty percent or thirty percent, they're still. Um, they might still be fine in terms of in terms of living a, a retirement. Well, they've got other assets, haven't they? Yeah, it's one of those things you can wait the market out a little bit. Yeah. Hey, okay. market interventions. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me run. I'll run through these relatively quickly because there's a there's a few other ones I want to talk about. But I wanted to talk about some of the issues um, that that have popped up just recently. Um, one is that uh, ASICs basically stopped giving out licenses. Um, and it's this whole idea of that they, they want to try and um, combine funds for scale, but but the flip side is, and it's it's sort of a, in a in a curious economic way. Basically, we're saying, well, if there's less competition in the sector, then we'll have lower prices. <laughs> and it's a um, yeah, it's sort of a especially from a especially from a, a liberal government, it sort of seems like a very curious thing to say. Well, no, the market's not working, so we need to um, we need to get in there and 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 weed some out. Um, the second, so and, and that sort of leads on to basically saying, well, are we going to be better off with oligopolies? We're going to be better off with six or four, you know, four big super funds that are going to do everything for us. And if that's the case, then I guess it's one more argument back to, to Cameron's about, well, why, don't, why not just let have have one and let it be a government appointed one? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a. Can I just quickly say that's possibly the worst way to design a market is to not allow new entrants. <laughs> I mean that. That's the secret source of competition. Competition, yeah. I mean, we teach it in the textbooks of having many suppliers, but mm. the real secret source is having new entrants from other markets that can take inputs and produce uh, an output that, that sort of competes in this market. Because oligopolies, even if you've got 25 
um, companies, they can learn to get to the monopoly price if they're sheltered from entrance. Mm. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, my, my view is that's that's not good. And I think if you get to the point where you've got a government fund, you're already at the point is, well, why does the government have a, need a fund? They're the government. All they're doing is trying to transfer incomes each year to retired people. They don't need a fund. Yes. Everything unwinds once you get to that point. Yeah. Well, and then we've got this part about this, you know, weeding out the under. We're going to legislate against people being having poor performance, effectively, is is by saying, okay, we're going to you know, name and shame anyone who who's underperforms. This is a, this is a new one that's sort of come out as part of the, um, the recent budget. budget. Yep. And so they still haven't worked out the details of it, but it's basically, you know, here's your bottom 10 performers or whatever up on a website and you know nobody's allowed to put new money in it and, or, you know, some sort of penalty for these ones. And to me, that's, that's then basically saying, well, you've basically just said to everyone, every, every super fund out there, okay, we, if you're going to take any risk, you run the risk. You, know, you, mm. you run the risk of actually losing your fund. You know, getting shut down and losing all your members. And so, um, don't try and outperform. Like everyone, should just try and hug the middle. Everyone's going to basically sit there and go, "Well, I just want to get market performance because I don't want to. I don't want to run the risk that um, yeah. I, I underperform, and so I don't want to be last. And so, let's all let's all hug. Let's all um, yeah, sit around wouldn't, sit around this index. Wouldn't the, so, wouldn't the interest of the funds be to start lots of small niche funds that do this so that you can stack the bottom of the distribution <laughs> with these, these tiny, tiny funds that have absolutely no money? Just permanently yeah. lose. <laughs> like a stack of low-performing fund, put, a, put 100 bucks in it, jump the hoops and go, hey, this is your rule. Like, <laughs> that's going to be gamed. It's a stupid rule, A, and B, it's going to be gamed. Yeah. yeah. Well, th thanks for throwing that one in there, Kevin. Hopefully, uh, Ian Silk isn't listening in, or yeah, one of those big fellas. So, uh, anyway, we'll wait and see. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that's, that's the market intervention side. The other part I wanted to go is just like how does how do super funds actually influence asset markets? Because I think there's a um, there's a, there's a few things going on in this area that that I think people should be be aware of at least in terms of uh, when you're investing is. As far as I can tell, especially the especially the industry funds have sort of bought this this idea of this uh, Harvard Yale model, which is um, you invest in a lot of uh, private assets um, and unlisted assets or private equity and and these alternative assets where um, you get what's called a liquidity premium. And so what that means is that because these things are, aren't listed and don't trade on markets, you can buy them cheaper. And if you're a big fund that doesn't need the money for for years and years and years because you're um, you know, you're either an endowment or you're a superannuation fund and, and you've got a quite a long time, um, then then you can invest in these and, and harvest this extra premium for it. And that was certainly true when these things started, as you can see from some of these longer term returns, they got these great longer term returns. But the last five years have actually been really bad for this and even longer than this. This, this is a, from a study that from a, from a couple of years ago, I think it's almost 10 years now of bad performance from, from these. And a lot of it's coming back to this idea that um, if you start plowing money into um, uh, unlisted investments and you get a, you get enough people all, all sort of doing the same thing, then the value of those assets actually goes up to the, to the same price as the market prices. Yep. And, and that's where we are now, which is you sort of at the stage where, you know, arguably some of these assets are even more overpriced when you get some of the, um, you know, your WeWorks and, and things like that, where they're sort of trying to keep them off market for longer. So, and... Damien, can you think about it as like, uh, it's almost like analogous to inflation where it's like uh, you've got a limited set of, of something. In this case, you have a limited set of assets. And as the dollars uh, flowing into that increases, 
um, than uh, the, the prices do that people purchasing it, them at do, uh, and then the returns decrease. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've got to say that both market sizes, let's say they're equal, 100 billion in each, and and then everyone suddenly decides they want to get lots more. Also, yeah, so they're both earning 100 billion in sales, but but um, but one of them's priced at you know 20 cheaper than the other one, and then the, a flood of capital comes to the other, and, and then they even up. Yeah. So so you so you I'd argue you're not being rewarded for um, the illiquidity at the moment, and um, and every super fund has piled into this, and it's, it'll take them years before somebody comes out with a study to sort of show to show exactly what's going on, and then the reverse will happen, and they'll all sort of there'll be there'll be a new flavor of the month, and a lot of these guys, and especially because you have that whole performance monitoring, is everyone sort of watching what's everyone else doing, and so there's this herd mentality, and I think right now the herd's overpricing um, unlisted assets and 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 potentially some infrastructure as well. Yeah. And could you say this is the same thing? I'm um, sorry, Gav, that we're go, seeing go, go. in equity markets, like, like you know, with this uh, federal bank uh, bond buying that we're seeing, sort of indirectly flowing into there as opposed to the real economy. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's similar. It's similar in terms of um, if people have lots of if there's. It's this, I guess it's this argument, and I think Cameron, we spoke about this last time. You know, if there's, if you get big inequalities, you sort of got the same amount of money out there, but but it's sort of clumped in some group of, in in one group of people and and not in others. Then that that money gets saved in the people mm-hmm. who have more of it, and so then it gets put back into asset markets, whether it be houses or or unlisted or mm-hmm. or infrastructure or yeah. I, so, I would also say uh, that that evidence you've got of the declining returns of unlisted assets is is very much indicative of this savings glut sort of story of mm. what's happening in the world these days yep. is that there people are not spending on new goods and services because of this unequal distribution the wealthy earn these uh, incomes on their capital and they just keep plowing it back into assets and we don't really need a compulsory super to add to that you know mm. there's there's no shortage of funding uh, for businesses um, and, and you see that a lot from the super the super um, lobbyists will say, oh, we need super to fund all this stuff. And I think what you've shown there is evidence that, look, there's so much money floating around. We really don't need super. You can't get a premium. There's, there's nothing left to buy. Yeah. That's actually a question from one of the, uh, from, we've got a question on the, on the YouTube, just talking, talking about uh, questioning the fact about sales not being, sorry, savings not being good from a macro perspective. Mm. Um yeah, and it's that it's the same thought, isn't it? When you, you when you've got times of high inflation, so back in the eighties, high inflation, and and you do want to take a bit out, then then convincing people to save is a good idea. But mm. when you've got a savings glut, then then mm. giving people tax um, credits to uh, to save more is not not helping. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, Very good. I spoke, I spoke a little bit about the financial services earlier. Um, this is another another place where I can see um, distortions by the super. But it's this idea that um, we spoke about about having double the fees, um, but also within these, there's multiple, um, there's sort of multiple layers of, of fees within where you'll see, um, like most superannuation funds are a fund of funds. So so you're paying a superannuation fund to manage your money, and then they're paying somebody else to manage that money. And sometimes you can even go another layer down before before the, the person. So um, there's actually a lot of fees bouncing around. I think, what was your number, Cameron? Was it 45 billion or 35 billion? Uh, I think it's 30, 35, yeah. 35, yeah. So as you said, so the, the whole pension system was sort of, it's a similar number. Like there's a lot of money going into financial services. Um, and the question is, you know, are these higher profits at risk 
as um, so, so you've had this distortion over the last 20 years of building up extra fees in, in all these financial services companies. You know, is that somewhere where that can that can be scaling back as, as time goes on? And so that's certainly one area we're sort of looking at. So basically you're saying there's a lot of intermediaries, Damon? Yes, there are. So you have all of these fund managers. And I know that like within superannuation, sorry, um, that there's... Um, uh, within the industry funds, there's this propensity to uh, move to internalising. So there, there is some movement within the industry, maybe not enough, to try and take away some of these layers. Mm. I'm not sure if we've still got Damien on the line. So, sorry, he is. sorry He's back. I, just, I just muted myself in case that was me doing the reverberation. I, th I think there's there's definitely a push. I mean, as we see, there's, they're trying everything they can at the moment. And, and we just spoke about the bad things they're doing in terms of, um, you know, trying to cut things out but but the, i guess there is a realization that that um uh the that the funds have been getting away with too much and so you, you do need to scale back the profits and so or but you do yeah you need to scale back the fees and which which means that there's, there's a risk of these profits and, and and we spoke about we've spoken to our, some of our people where you, you get um you, know, you start with a financial planner and then you've got a dealer group and you've got um, investment committees and then you've got asset consultants and sometimes you've got asset consultants for asset consultants and then you've got the actual superannuation fee funds themselves and their their costs and then you finally got the the investor sitting on the other end like there's just so many people sitting in between um, you know an investor and his money Absolutely. Um, but really at the end of the day this point is peripheral to Cameron's one which is actually that we don't really need to have superannuation. Yeah, yeah, but but I guess what I'm saying is this is this is those saying. I guess what I'm trying to draw back to now is is how we're seeing this reflected in asset markets at the moment. And I guess what as as yeah. we're looking at financial Australian financial services companies, we're sort of saying, well, yes, we need to we need to affect that. We do think profits will probably shrink back a bit over over the next little while, um, or, or not grow as fast as they might have otherwise grown. Um, uh, the, the other this sort of a, I'll jump to one of these other distortions as well, the ethical, non-ethical, um, which, you know, we, we obviously run ethical stuff ourselves, more of on a choice where we put it back to individuals. But there is this part about saying, um, you, are, are we getting to some distortions? Are we going to get distortions flowing through? Because um, if you let smaller and smaller groups um, deal with much larger bits of money, then, then they're actually the ones out there making these ethical decisions about should we invest in coal or should we invest in in fossil fuels and, and all these other factors, which um, some of them are quite, you know, I, I have a lot of personal sympathy for, but in the end, I also want to make sure that, you know, we're not trying to use our investment system to, um, to try and act, enact what should actually be laws. Like if we don't think there should be coal or, 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 or whatever, then we should be passing laws to, to put on carbon taxes or do whatever, we shouldn't be trying to back end it by by um, by affecting our super funds, by, by trying to try to convince our, our super funds not to invest. Um, and so I guess there's this part, you know, that's probably a more, um, I don't know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to work out how I'm trying to say this, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying is we don't, we don't want to have so much concentration that, that all of a sudden our ethical, our, our, our arbiters of what's right or wrong is, is a fund manager sitting at an asset manager somewhere rather than being... Um, you know, politicians or people who should be making those decisions. Is part of that, though, Damien, the, um, 
you know, it's giving people power when they feel like they might not have power. So as you mentioned there, the coal's, coal's quite a good, good divisive um, example, I think, in the sense that you've got plenty of people who feel that coal's no good and yet it still hangs around and, and obviously has its um, vested in, interests and proponents on the other side. Um, mm. So is this, you know, is that is that part of that, I guess, in a solution? It's like, well, if you, if you can't, if you can vote against it, it doesn't seem to be working, at least you can move your money against it. Is that sort of, I guess, in a way, uh, you know, it appears to be a solution, but is it actually a solution? Yeah, well, that's right. Well, and, and we pitch it that in ours as we said we want we want people to 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 tick the boxes, but we don't want people to think that they've solved the problem by mm. by ticking the box and saying I won't invest in coal. Is going oh great, I've done my job, yeah, you know, job done. Whereas it's actually saying no, no. If if we if you honestly think it's something important, then not investing it in it's a very minor step. Actually, yep. going out and and changing rules or taxes or doing whatever it is to to, to transition is is the most important part. So yeah, so there's that, um, and then the other. The, the, actually, I'll flick. I'll, we might go on in the interest of time. Okay. I, I think I could spend a, a while talking about these other. <laughs> no, <laughs> these that's other all right. Ones. Yeah, and we've got. I'm sure we'll get some questions from viewers as well. So we want to save some time for that. Uh, lifting the super guarantee to 12 percent would make distortions work worse. Obviously, uh, there's been some research out saying that uh, that that you know nine and a half isn't enough, and it needs to be 12. Uh, what What are your thoughts? Who Who, who would like to kick off? Perhaps uh, Cam or Leith. Uh, I'll just quickly run through uh, through my thoughts and then Cam can add his. Look, um, yeah, obviously there's been a massive push uh, from the industry superannuation movement, the unions who are tied to them, uh, and AL and the ALP, particularly, you know, stalwarts, uh, Paul Keating and Kevin Rudd, et cetera, that we've got to lift the superannuation guarantee to 12%. Um, my view is that it, that all the flaws that, I, that, that, that we identified earlier would obviously be made worse. Like, you don't throw extra money at a problem um, when... You know, and, and just hope that it magically goes away. If you do that, it's just going to make the problem worse. And by lifting the super guarantee to 12%, you're going to, uh, first of all, reduce um, household disposable income because superannuation comes from wages. If you're forcing people to give up 12% instead of 9.5% of the wages, they're obviously going to get a, a wage cut, other things equal. Um, it's also going to cost the budget an extra $2 billion a year, according to the Grattan Institute. And uh, it's also going to, uh, because of the way the superannuation concessions are so skewed to high income earners, um, it's not going to relieve pressure on the age pension down the track. So it's going to cost us both immediately and in the long run. Uh, and because the way the superannuation concessions are so targeted towards high earners, obviously if you raise the superannuation guarantee, all you're going to do is increase inequality because you're going to drive more wealthier people into asset ownership, whereas uh, those at the bottom end um, aren't going to get nearly as much concessions or increase. And, uh, and, you know, again, this all comes back to the fact that doing so does not address the underlying problem. So talking about lifting, um, an alternative to lifting the super guarantee, apologies to, uh, to 12%. Yeah, well, sh sh shall we? Yeah. Basically, I think a good alternative, and this is a very simple thing we can do. Uh, it's not going to cost the budget any more money. It's not going to uh, uh, take anybody's wages away. But it will improve the long run sustainability of the of, of superannuation system. Um, it certainly won't fix all the problems, but it'll make the problems, uh, you know, less bad. Um, so instead of lifting the superannuation guarantee, uh, a simple solution is to make the concession system more progressive. So the proposal I've made um, is to replace the 15% flat tax with a 15% refundable tax offset. So what that means at the moment, if you're a top top income earner um, and your your marginal tax rate's 45 cents in the dollar. Um, Provided you earn less than, you know, say you earn 200000 
um, at the moment you receive a, receive a superannuation uh, concession of 30% because it's 50, you get your basically, um, you pay flat 15% tax, uh, your marginal tax rates at 45, so I'll get a 30% uh, tax benefit. Um, if you're a much lower income earner, you still get the 15% tax benefit because your marginal tax rates a lot less, you don't get as much benefit. So a simple solution simply to make it, uh, make it so that everybody gets the 15% concessions. That means that if you're on 45% uh, marginal tax rate, you pay 30%. If you're on 37%, you, make, you pay 37% minus 15, et cetera, et cetera. And what this basically means is um, concessions will be uh, skewed more, more towards the lower end of the income distribution. Um, those at the higher end won't get as bigger concessions. Mm. Um, and it'll effectively mean that lower income earners will, will, will get bigger retirement nest, nest eggs without having to sacrifice more wages. Whereas those at the higher end won't get as much um, won't get as much superannuation concessions. Now, obviously, you still got a lot of the same problems that I mentioned still exist, but it'll smooth out the edges. Yep. Yeah. Look, and, uh, and I've got uh, there's there's two tables there. They're explained it. Yeah. Look, and it's a terrific idea, I think, on a number of fronts, and obviously um, the the fairness and equality is a is a, is a great one. Um, but the other interesting part too, and I guess going back on the fact that I've worked in the super industry for, for some time, is at the moment, you know, when money comes into superannuation as a concessional contribution, um, it just gets the 15% knocked off it. So it's very straightforward from an administrative point of view for the super fund. Uh, obviously, they like it that way. Uh, where by, by by putting it back in, in what you've proposed here, Leith, um, what, what it actually does is it forces... Uh, people to submit a tax return so that their their actual amount of earnings can be estimated, and then obviously the you know the appropriate level of um, of tax can be paid or the concession can be set, um, which is which is an interesting uh, element I guess in tying you know superannuation to to, to people actually submitting tax returns. Um, so you basically get the you get the you know potentially no no tax rebate at all unless you submit a tax return, in which case obviously then it can be worked out, which I, I thought was quite an interesting um, little facet of it. I can, I'm sure you could do that in PAYG, couldn't you? Sort that out as, as it's coming across. Anyway, let's let's flick on to the barriers to reform because we're, we're almost out of time anyway. Yeah, sure. Okay. Who'd like to kick off the barriers to reform? Uh, Cam, are you back on? Oh, all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kick him off. Uh, look, look. obviously the biggest barrier to reform is the superannuation industry itself. Now, um, you know, obviously the superannuation industry wants to wants to keep the status quo they want to keep the uh, that they, they they want this the um superannuation guarantee to be increased uh, for the simple reason that um a bigger superannuation guarantee means bigger bigger fund inflows into superannuation which means um bigger funds under management and means that they can get bigger fees so it's um it's basically self-interest and that's uh that's a key reason why the superannuation industry lobbies so hard against reform and also lobbies so strongly to raise to lift the superannuation guarantee rather than making uh, you know reforms that would to, to make the system more efficient and more sustainable and better um, and and tied into this one uh, is obviously um, unfortunately the Australian Labor Party the Australian Labor Party uh, uh, tied heavily to the union owned industry superannuation funds uh, so they're they they, they always uh, argue to increase the superannuation guarantee um, Labor also were the ones who created the superannuation system. So, because of that, they're uh, they don't want to admit that, that that there's problems with it because they created it. And th and this is why you see um, you know the grandfather of Australia's compulsory superannuation system, Paul Keating, so uh, so strongly defend it 
um, no matter what, no matter what the evidence says. Uh, he's always defending, defending the industry, always arguing to increase the superannuation guarantee, et cetera, et cetera, because obviously having created the system, he doesn't want it to fail and he wants it. He wants, he wants his legacy to, um, to, to stand up. Yeah, there's a bit of ego there, Anybody Luke, else? probably. <laughs> um, I was actually going to ask a question that I've been waiting to ask um, Cam since he said there's about 55,000 uh, people employed by the superannuation industry in Australia. You're just self-interest here. I'm obviously one of them. Uh, <laughs> I just want to know where are these people going to go if uh, his plan to mm. end, it, end it goes ahead? <laughs> what, what should I start retraining in? <laughs> <laughs> look, look. Honestly, honestly, the the system's not going to disappear. That that that's. I guess my previous one was a basic reform, like a simple one which you can do because um, you know it is a system. It's huge. Uh, it, it seems to be embedded, and uh, I personally can't see any you know root and branch reform happening. So um, that that's why I think we just need to take the gains where you can, and uh, that's why I propose the other one. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess we've you know we've spoken about getting rid of superannuation, you know, holding it at nine and a half percent. The other option, I guess, is winding back that SG component, or uh, you know, making it elective or something like that as well. Could be one way of you know putting a bit of user choice into it. But I'm not haven't quite fully thought that one through. I just thought I'd throw it in there. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one because when you read, yeah, um, I'm oh, sorry, Billy. Yeah, look, I, I think the only problem with making it elective is that. Um, is that you'll end up with higher income earners using it as a tax dodge, uh, yep. whereas low income earners uh, won't contribute at all. So not, not not necessarily that that's a bad thing if lower income earners can keep me, but uh, I think it'll end up just becoming a sort of like a tax shelter mm. um, that that won't meet any aims. It'll end up just being uh, costing the budget money, and it won't uh, it won't do anything to relieve um, yeah well, you know pressure on the age of pension. Yeah, exactly. If you're on if you're on a forty five percent marginal tax rate, yeah, you know you're worth it's worth pumping your money into super because it's yeah. a great tax dodge yeah so essentially it exacerbates the the rich get richer element of superannuation um and yeah it creates a, a larger divide yeah that's right although 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 we'll also give more disposable income to lower income so it's not necessarily bad it just i just think it doesn't um it doesn't improve the improve the system that's all fair enough um okay we might jump across to uh investment implications demo yeah, I just wanted to touch on a few of these things for, and sort of less about the overall market, but more about how we're thinking about the uh, superannuation is is um, affecting existing investment markets. And so, so the first one is this this idea that I spoke a little bit about, which is saying that alternative asset pricing, um, not every single alternative asset, but but certainly in some cases, um, uh, the, the the valuations are are pretty close to what you're getting in listed markets. Which is very different to, to to how it was 20 years ago, um, and, and there's also a lot fewer companies um, listing in public markets because they they're, they're more going these private equity routes. Now, on, on some on some perspective, you could say, oh, that's a good thing. You know, they don't have these listed market costs and and these other things to it. But um, the, the the best thing about listed markets is you get lots of transparency, mm. and you do get people coming out and writing reports saying, "Hey, this company is no good," or or it's or people shorting it and, and things like that, and bringing out information that that um, that that actually adds to the to, to people's understanding and, and and gets a better price. Whereas locked up in the um, in private equity or or um, venture capital, you get things like WeWork, where you know that's it's a, one company keeps revaluing itself higher and higher and higher. And, and there's actually no other real. Um, there's no actual market price out there from from other investors yeah, investing. Yeah, you get to you get to uh, write your own report card essentially. 
for uh, anyone else who has a play with it. <laughs> that's much that's much better, Cameron. I think hey, that was me. He's back. Oh, you can okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there, was there anything you wanted to add in? Was there something? Take a step back. Got a small issue here. I just, uh, I've lost Cam. So sorry, Cam. Just sorry to cut you off there. We, we you weren't coming through on my feed, and obviously I'm I'm the one recording it all. So um, I might if I can get you to start that one again. I apologise. We've just got, oh. got back going again. Yeah, you're sounding great now. Okay, I'm back. I think the important thing to know with raising the the compulsory rate to twelve percent is that it decreases the lifetime income of the bottom third of households. And so when you have a political party pushing for this. What they're really saying is we want the bottom third of households to be poorer. That is the outcome we want. And I think if you want to you know, persuade people in policy land, you need to be much more uh, direct about these economic consequences uh, of these changes. And, and I think we also forget that the age pension is a pay rise for these people. So it's pretty bizarre to make people poorer while they're waiting to get their pay rise, which is the age <laughs> pension. And even I know my parents are retired and all their friends are getting the age pension and they love it. It's the best thing ever when you get the age pension. <laughs> um, you know, this COVID bonus that was going out to welfare payments, uh, you know, people thought they'd got the age pension and were celebrating that they'd finally made it. Because people, when they retire and they're on the age pension, they report in surveys that they have no, very little financial worry. They're very happy. It's, it's the greatest sort of welfare intervention of the 20th century. And I, I, I wouldn't want to see the debate about super put it at risk. We need to be really upfront about what super doesn't achieve and what the age pension does achieve and really focus on that. Very good. Jump, yep. Do you want me to jump back? Uh, yeah, yep. sorry, just jump back in, Damien, yes. Yeah, so, okay, so, so there's this issue with uh, private, private um, asset pricing, to me, that's this is going to get worse before it gets better. It's a bit like um, you know, they say you know, science advances you know, one death at a time in some of these where, where once theories have taken hold and, and there is this theory out there that, that unlisted assets get you this great return. Um, and so it's going to take years of, of underperformance while because well, the valuations are, are basically equal now before um, you know, it'll, it'll actually take hold that, that there's not and then, then the pendulum will probably swing the other way and, it'll be, and it will be a great time to invest in unlisted assets because you get this big uh, premium. But um, you know, most of the super funds um, are very much passengers rather than drivers. Like, and what I mean by that is that um, when you do get markets move down and move up um, quite quickly, there are so many people involved in these decision making um, that they really don't do much. They tend they tend not to. You know, they'll they'll talk about being um, you know so moving their asset allocation around, and quite often what they mean is they've got a seventy percent equity and they've moved up to seventy three and down to sixty seven. And, and so it's not like a, um, it's, it's very minor sort of, you know, rearranging of the deck chairs. 
So um, yeah, that's that's something that'll take a while before it gets through. And, and we do think there are some exploitable anomalies in there. Um, the problem is because super funds are so mo so slow moving, um, you're not going to get any. There's not going to be like you, you buy an asset and then all of a sudden it's going to pop. These are ones where we just expect to be getting slightly better than average returns over longer periods of time and places where we can look for, you know, I didn't really speak about franking credits, but, but there's ones where you can, you can look and go, well, I can get, I can actually get better returns from, from some companies that aren't paying franking credits. Um, and the pricing's a lot better because of it, because franking credits are actually um, overvalued in the super system um, uh, versus what international investors will pay for. And so, yeah, so we, um, you know, within our models, there's a few of these sort of pricing anomalies that we, we add in to try and say, well, we'd like to sort of harvest those premium, but they're not, um, it's not like a, a rush out and buy it now. It's sort of like a, a small, one small extra gain you can get um, in terms of um, yeah, making making better returns over time. Okay, yep, sure thing. Do you want to go to questions? Maybe? Yeah, just, just, I'll, I'll just have a quick look through some couple of questions here. Um, I've, got one, I've got one here. Without the super industry, what would ex-politicians do for a job? Does Cameron have any opinions on uh, why this conflict of interest is not debated? Cam. Uh, if you read the book Game of Mates, <laughs> there is a chapter on the revolving door of the super industry. And uh, yes, it's certainly becoming very entrenched uh, in the media, in the political parties, uh, in the financial sector. And the longer it becomes entrenched and the, the deeper the tentacles go the harder it will be to change um yeah well it, and it, as you said you know whatever it was 30 37 billion or whatever of, of funds going into the super industry you know, there's obviously a um a decent amount of that that can that can pop back into re-election campaigns for politicians to, to help keep things headed in the right direction yeah and i, th I think they, they the controlling the narrative of what the super system is is also part of this game as well the myth making i call it and You'll notice there's, the, there's a senator today talking about this online magazine, The New Daily, which is funded by a bunch of industry super funds. And so you can see the tentacles now uh, in the media trying to sort of control the narrative of, of what super funds are and are not and the political debate around them. And I, I think that's a, a bad thing mm. in general. I mean, if you think it's bad for Rupert Murdoch to own newspapers, then it's probably also not that great for super funds to own theirs as well uh, and talk about Oz politics. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Sorry, Damien, go. Oh, you, you, I was going to say that, and that's that, that curious, um, you know, the curious structure that uh, industry funds have where they, they spend marketing money. Um, they spend their, um, yeah, their marketing money comes from the clients themselves. Like, whereas, so, so to, to put it a, be, a better example is if, if I want to spend money, mar money marketing our super fund, I have to charge clients a, a fee for it. And then from that fee, I then can, can take that revenue that I get and go and decide to spend it on a marketing budget. Whereas an industry super fund actually just draws straight from clients to say, and that their argument is basically that um, if we get more members, then we get better economies of scale. So I can justify spending, you know, some of your, Cameron, you, you know, you're an industry super fund. I can, you know, they can justify spending some of your industry super and some of your super on their own marketing to, to grow bigger as a, as a company. And it's sort of, there's something obviously um, that doesn't feel quite right about that. Yeah, it's kind of perverse having them sponsor sports teams and uh, put TV ads in prime time and whatnot. 
in many ways. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, sorry, go on. Uh, and all that, um, you know, when you when you talk about that, it, the the press, you know, that's that's come out of your super, Cameron. That's um, you know, they've yeah, funded, yeah. they've said, oh, yep, we're creating a newspaper and we're funding it via um, donations from everyone. Yeah, yeah it's an, it's an interesting um, approach, isn't it? You could kind of see maybe you know five years ago, um, it's sort of this war between retail super and industry super was sort of getting thrashed out, and then the Royal Commission sort of pretty much zilched out the retail side, and everyone pulled out of. Um, so, you know the retail side, you know, for for good cause, got 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 blown off the blown off the planet. Um, and so you, you question whether or not the you know the the, the business model for having the uh, the new daily or publications like that that are financed is is still relevant. But anyway, uh, there's still lots of money in in uh, retail super. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I mean, it's I think it's overplayed the. Um, I mean, there's certainly been a switch, but but I think there's um, it's not there's no there's it's not like there's that many paupers in the. Um, in the, in the in retail, retail side. side. Yeah. Around the stuff in the media is um, the industry super funds were, and it's not just um, against the retail funds. They were um, the media started going out against them because they were getting power, um, because they were internalizing, and they were starting to realize that they were holding so much of companies and politicians and the banks realized that um, they were losing their power to them. So. Um, you know, it's. I don't think it's as simple as saying that um, they're bad and, and and they're good or whatever it is like that. It's sort of they've reacted to environment. Should they be um, going out there and saying that super is as important as it is for everyone? Uh, well, given what Cameron said today, I don't think they should be doing that. But they've all also reacted to the ecosystem which they found themselves in. That's a fair point. Yep, yep, I agree with that. Okay, very good. Um, and, and, and I think that's probably the point you've made. We've spoken about this before, Shelley, is that you know, people who do work in industry super are more likely to be trying to do it for the good of their members and actually genuinely do believe that as opposed to saying, no, I'm just here to make a profit. From Yeah, from and I think that, like, I did work for an industry super fund and um, the people I, with, that I worked with, they genuinely believed that um, this was the right thing for people. Um, and I did too uh, until you I did. started reading Cameron's stuff today and listening to the listening to his podcast. And you've converted me, Cameron. Thanks very much. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Uh, very good. Um, now, obviously, aside from the fact that we'll we'll pop in a um, a link to your uh, your recent paper I've got in front of me here, Cameron, uh, for for our listeners to to check out for themselves. Uh, how else can everybody follow you and and track your work? Uh, I'm on Twitter pretty regularly at Dr. Cameron Murray. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Cameron Murray, Fresh Economic Thinking, and that's my website as well, FreshEconomicThinking.com. And if you check out any of those, you'll see what I'm up to and what I'm writing. Lovely. Yeah, no, always a big follow of your work, mate. So keep keep going. And uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Look forward to getting back on very soon. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And thanks to you, Damien, Leith and Shelley for tuning in and helping out with our uh, somewhat foible-filled foible show today. with A little bit of editing to do for our producer. But anyway, thanks, guys. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. Very good. And... Uh, so we'll jump across to our uh, viewer question of the week and we can pop one up here just to, get, just to get the the ball rolling. Which would you prefer? A 2.5%. So this is obviously the difference between Super Now and where, where it's um, been uh, estimated it should go. 2.5% pay rise in the hand or in your Super. What would you prefer? Drop your answers in the comments uh, in the YouTube chat and we can have a look through those and uh, chat about it later. Uh, of course, coming up next week, we have uh, the second part 
of our series uh, on the topic of is growth the new yield and uh, we've brought along our special guest uh, Angela Ashton. Angela is founder and director of Evergreen, Evergreen Consultants and Evergreen Ratings. Uh, they're an invest, independent investment consultancy company that specialises in helping independent financial planners, small institutions, platforms and fund managers alike. Uh, growth was good uh, before March this year but what about now? Is it a short-term hit to growth or is there something more sustained and can this be used to provide income when other avenues are now unsatisfactory? So for those that regularly listen, uh, we had David Lane uh, cover off on the, on the same topic and we'll be expanding on it with Angela next week. So tune in uh, Thursday, 12.30pm on the 29th of October for a live chat with us and of course head to our YouTube channel, Nucleus Investment Insights, to ask questions along the way. Uh, thanks to all those that have watched in live for another great episode and for uh, popping in uh, your thoughts and questions as well. I hope you've taken away some great ideas. Uh, if you'd like to see more of our content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content to stay up to date with news from us. Follow us on our social media. And finally, if you know anyone who'd get something out of today's episode, let them know about it, share with a friend and help our show grow. So from all the team, uh, thanks again tuning in uh, for tuning in today, of course, from myself. Uh, and of course, we look forward to catching you at the next one. Go Cats. Cheers.